Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. We're on episode 16. Thank you so much for listening. Man, I am so excited about our podcast guest today. Just to kind of share this episode with you, I really had a good time speaking with him. Our guest is Aaron Couch. And unlike our other guests who have, you know, one title or one career, Aaron is a jack of many trades. And so he is, he has a degree as a vet assistant. He is currently uh, volunteering at the Teton Raptor Center, but he has a bunch of wildlife experience as well as just outdoor experience. He goes on these crazy wild adventures. But the best part about Aaron's interview is that it's very inspirational for all of you just listening who've ever wanted to break into a wildlife-related career. For those of you who've listened to the podcast or or just even, you know, that are familiar with wildlife careers, they're extremely competitive and they're very hard to come by. There's a lot of ups, there's a lot of downs. And you know, there's not a direct path. If you've, like I said, listened to this podcast or listened to the guests we've had on or even my journey, you know, there's definitely, there's a lot of ups and downs, but this guy's just such a great interview. Just kind of, you know, we talk about his journey. We begin talking about just kind of him beginning his uh, career in Nebraska and then actually moving to Anchorage to work at a pet emergency treatment center. We then go into our conversation about wolves and then uh, into where he is now, living in the Teton area along the Idaho and Wyoming border. So it's a great interview. It's a great podcast. I really hope you enjoy my interview with Aaron Couch. Oh, perfect. Okay. Dude, you look like a mountain man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so cra- yeah, I know, right? It's so crazy because I've actually been researching you with your website and stuff like that. And you are like a jack of all trades, my friend. I enjoy I, – I do enjoy a lot of things I have, have since I was a kid. Yeah. Well, I was trying to figure out this intro for you because – and I've never had a podcast guest where I was like, okay, so <laughs> like – so what is your title? And then you do a bunch of different things. You're a jack of all trades. You're a wildlife advocate. You are an adventurer, an explorer, a conservationist, a wildlife rehabilitator, a blogger. Is there anything else I'm missing on this? I really enjoy taking photographs. Okay. Well. Okay. So, <laughs> so you are a photographer. We'll add that onto the long list. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but thank you so much. Thank you for doing this podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Corbin. Of course. And so do you you remember this? Because I I had to go back through my emails. I had to do my research of you. Take a look at this. This is all the research I had to do today. (laughs) This is right. That's all on you, right? (laughs) So you first reached out to me in 2013, correct? I did. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Back in the day, asking to get some resources regarding, you know, animal rescue, this and that. Yes. Yep. That was, uh, I just moved to Idaho. Yep. Well, let's just, let's fast, I guess, you know, kind of rewind, go back to your childhood. What inspired you to want to dedicate your life to wildlife? So I, I grew up and I was that, I was that kid, that boy, like chasing frogs and finding lizards and snakes. And, and I, you know, I grew up, I, I didn't grow up in a rural area. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, once in a while we'd go camping or we'd go out to the countryside and I'd find, um, you know, 
snakes and lizards and I was just always fascinated with animals and and grew up with some dogs and stuff and and, and then it just kind of compounded you know I um I went to school to be a vet assistant um I uh I volunteered uh and interned for a year at the um Omaha Henry Dorley Zoo which has incredible facilities and and gave incredible experiences and then from there I I uh, just continued to kind of pursue um, a career with working with animals. So when you were young, what did you want to do? Was it to be a zookeeper? Did you want to be a wildlife photographer? Like, what was it? Um, I, in fifth grade, I remember being asked that question. And I was like, I want to be a zoologist. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and um, nobody knew what that was. <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, that's, that was kind of like, and then, and then I wanted to, you know, be a a veterinarian and then I realized, you know what, maybe, maybe I want to kind of, you know, be, be more of a, we're working with wildlife and like rescue. And, um, and so that was kind of, I don't really know if I have one particular thing that, um, instigated like this thought that I wanted to work with animals. Um, you might just say it was in my blood. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I had no idea yeah. what I wanted to do. I still don't. I, <laughs> like, yeah, right. like yeah. I'm still on this journey. Uh, that, yeah, that's incredible, man. So you, so like being a zoologist and you, so it led you on to become like a vet technician. You went to school, of course. Yep. Yes, I did. Yeah. I went to uh, the university of Nebraska and I went to the uh, Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture in Curtis, Nebraska, which is about a town of 800 people. So a little um, bit bigger than mine. <laughs> a, little, a little bit bigger than yours. Yeah. That's great, man. And so where are you? I, I know I'm just like getting off track, but so you're right now, you live in the Teton Valley, correct? That's correct. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yep. Man, you're like yeah. a true mountain man. <laughs> yeah it's it's a beautiful valley here uh it's right on the Idaho or right on the we call it Idaho. okay uh, i was like have you <laughs> it's right like, on like, a, like a drink before this podcast i'm like that's fine <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. we have a we have it right on the idaho wyoming border so okay yep. okay and what is what is the population there Comprised of four different towns. Two of the big towns are two thousand apiece. Oh wow! So that's so a little bit bigger where I'm from. So, right, and and of course you go over the pass and you have Jackson Hole, and you know around ten thousand. Um, they have that on the on the sign as you drive into town, but it's it's bigger than that with all of the, um, you know, the seasonal workers and and such. Mm-hmm. And by the way, like I said, I'm a little sidetracked, but you're one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. <laughs> Dude, you're Is everywhere. So- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just got back from the Grand Canyon. That was a, I, that was a great experience I, as well. I cannot wait to talk about that. So let's like rewind a little bit. So you, you grew up in Nebraska. You don't know if you want to be a zoologist, a veterinarian. And so what led you to like, I mean, your path. Did you go, did you intern first at the Lincoln, um, excuse me at the, uh, children's zoo first? Yeah. So go into that. Yeah. So, um, well, here's the funny thing. I chose Lincoln children's zoo at first because I 
didn't think I had a chance at getting an internship position at the Omaha zoo. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely discredited myself in that just thinking like, Oh yeah, you know, smaller zoo, closer experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I internshiped at, uh, the Lincoln children's zoo one month. Um, uh, and I, w- I did a variety of things there. Uh, I'd say some of my favorite things that I, I got to do was just like creating, um, displays and stuff, you know, creating displays for, uh, different reptiles and, um, okay. you know, then various experiences like uh, cleaning an enclosure with a porcupine in it. And she's <laughs> like, if it starts stamping its feet, you know, you should get out of there. And I'm like, <laughs> was uh, that, was that, was that an African crested porcupine? Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, you know, it always like moved around. And, and I had this other experience where I was cleaning an enclosure uh, with golden line tamarins and a also an armadillo that roamed around the floor and it would like it would like antagonate you and and, and like try to clamp its shell around you like at your shoe or whatever it could get itself on like the bag that you were using to clean up the you know f- the enclosure yeah. uh and <laughs> I just remember this one time where I had to keep like moving, moving, and it kept – I just watched it like going back and forth and like stalking me. And finally it got enough, you know, bravery to come up and like try to grab me. And I was like, I am – I'm focusing so much on this armadillo that I can't even do my work. And so I just – I picked it up and I carried it out of the enclosure because it was it was a big <laughs> enough enclosure you could stand up in it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I go through the door and I just, I remember hearing this little girl who was watching all of this through the glass pane window say, mommy, mommy, he took the armadillo. <laughs> it, was, it, just, it just cracked me up, you know, like it, it was like, oh yeah, I know I did finally, <laughs> finally put it in timeout until I'm done. And <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, so there was a lot of cool experiences there. I got to work, you know, um, up next to like, you know, 10 foot high Bactrin camels. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm saying that right. It's Bactrin. Yeah, two hunts, right? Yep. Yeah. Giant, giant Giant. animals. We just filmed one. Well, actually, we used a a dromedary camel named Clyde. Yep. And we. This is so funny. We actually like we had Clyde at my house, and my neighbors had no idea we were filming something for a for a webisode, and they freaked <laughs> out. Like <laughs> Clyde weighs like two thousand pounds. It was insane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I did it, and then from that, I um, I took a, a two month internship um, in Alaska at, in Anchorage at uh, at the um, Alaskan, um, the emergency animal hospital there. Wow. Okay. So really quick, I'm just trying to like get this all together. Cause I know we kind of jumped ahead. So you graduate college, you decide you want to work with animals and you take your internship at, or, or, or volunteer at the Lincoln 
Children's Zoo, correct? Correct. Yes. For for and one they, month, and I and I started, and they knew that I was only going to be there for a month, and then I accepted uh, another internship. Okay, I was going to say because one month is pretty; <laughs> it's not very long. So I was thinking, like, did you get you know let go or? How oh work? yeah, no, um, yeah. I kind of went into it like I was planning trying to get um, the uh, the rec- the requirement for my college was a three month internship, and so the Alaskan one they were they. Were, didn't want me to start until June. So I had a month to, oh, okay. to kind of fill. And so I did that with the Lincoln Children's Zoo. Tell us, what was it like moving to Alaska? Well, Alaska was great. Um, Anchorage is, is the biggest city in Alaska. So it's very not Alaskan um, by definition <laughs> of Alaska. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, there's mountains, there's the ocean, there's green belts going through the, the city. Um, it was always a dream of mine to, uh, to be in Alaska. And since then, I was only there for two months, and I was working 40 to 50 hours a week. Oh, wow. And so I didn't really get a chance to explore a lot. I did get some pretty amazing opportunities, but it's always been a dream of mine to go back and, and spend more time there. Animal Emergency Hospital... It was like jumping right into it. Um, there's no like you go to a regular vet clinic and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've got this one surgery today, and um, you know maybe we'll clip Fufu's toenails." <laughs> <laughs> at the at pet emergency treatment, it was you know one hit by car after the other, um, a you know. Golden Retriever chased the porcupine for the eighth time. And, <laughs> oh my goodness. And, you know, it's just there's all of these trauma experiences where something happens after hours. It's 2 a.m. You're having a dog with a seizure, and you've never handled a dog, you know, flapping around, and you're just trying to go to your, your, your core instincts Mm-hmm. to like tap into what, what, what did I learn? You know, what did I, what was I supposed to do under this extreme circumstance? Gosh, um, and, they, so was, and they just, they just threw you in there. Well, not, not necessarily, but sometimes you got thrown into it just based on things happening that are unpredictable. For instance, like you, you walk out to the, to the front because uh, a dog comes in for seizures and you're getting some of the information from the owner before they bring him back. And he has one right there in front of you. And you're the only person just the intern, man. Thank goodness. You had like some experience, right? I mean, I mean your lifelong experience, man, I remember one time. So this was like back in the day, this would not happen now. It'd be a crazy lawsuit, but I volunteered for this little wildlife rescue nonprofit the first, I was 13 years old. The first day I, I was on, I swear to, and I've never talked about this publicly, but whatever. Um, oh, and, anyway, <laughs> first day I was on, one of the tigers had gotten loose out of their dens. So literally, when you, you know, obviously, so when you have these tigers and exhibits and stuff, yeah, they're outdoor exhibits and they have these indoor dens where they go. And then that's where the keepers clean. Well, someone forgot to shut the den door and one of the tigers was out. Dude, it was like, 
And I remember the owner came out with this giant fire hose and was trying to get the tiger back in. I'm like 13 years old. Like, I, this like sounds like a movie, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. It's, yeah, there's the, those weird random experiences that you have and you just can't predict them. Yeah. Man, so did you did you love Alaska? I mean, did you want to live there, or did you have to leave after the two months that you were done? I, yeah, I left after the two months. Um, it, I almost just decided to skip my plane ticket <laughs> and just you know just like stay there. I was like, I have no plan. Uh, sometimes I kind of wish I had, but I had some uh, some different family experiences that r- required me to to definitely come back home. Oh, man. Um, and you're, and, and you're such a nature guy. I mean, did you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm sure you saw like tons of wildlife up there. I mean, oh, right? like, I about mean the wildlife really, in Alaska. yeah. Yeah. So like my only transportation in Anchorage was like a bicycle. Someone gave me for free. And so I just, I rode around up there just to give you an idea. It was like 31 days in a row of, of rain that year during that two month period that I was up there. And so I, I rode around everywhere, sometimes soaking wet. And but like there would be just moose walking down the green belt path, you know, just and I I look outside and there was a moose bathing in a you know in a sprinkler in the in the, <laughs> in the, front yard of the hospital. Like it, it was it was crazy. I'm just like and and the moose are bigger up there than they are down here too. So these massive animals that I'm like, well, that's my first moose, and that's my second one the same day. Okay, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, they they're they're everywhere. Um, yeah, is it just I, like was, Aaron, Is it just like having deer here? Is it just like seeing a deer that like like a moose would be here locally in the valley where I live? Probably, they're they seem to have adapted to just roaming around the city up there. I mean, you see. You see videos too of of people who are in close encounter with moose just on a bike path or sidewalk, and they just stay as close as far away as possible. I mean, you have moose out in Boise, though, correct? No, I've never seen a moose. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't. What? No, I don't think so. No, I've never. This is why I'm so fascinated. I've only seen a moose in a zoo, and I would. Oh, wow. I would. It would be one of those like. Number one of my number one animal encounters would be a moose, and I, I might sound so oh. ridiculous to someone listening in Alaska. Did you just get so accustomed to it? Like, oh, there's another moose. Oh, there's another. You know, yeah. Um, even even here in Teton Valley, we have so many. So you know, no, we don't have them in Boise. Whenever you want to, definitely see, northern. Come out here. <laughs> that sounds good, man. So, did you see? I know it is so crazy because I'll see videos of like a moose in Anchorage in like a McDonald's parking lot. Yep. 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 Seen it. Wow. And I've also, I was listening to a podcast, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. He's a great podcast. I don't know if you've checked, haven't sure. Okay. Big fan. He's like the number one podcast guy, but yeah, they were talking about having bald eagles, like in a McDonald's, you know, like in like a McDonald's dumpster, like, you know, scavenging off of the scraps. I just, in the last guy, couldn't even believe it. Yeah. I think they wait the way they say it up there is like bald eagle bald eagles are like the um are like our pigeons. No. Yeah. No way, dude. So I <laughs> do you understand? So I live on the river. I'll open up my um 
blind so you can see whenever i see a bald eagle i freak out like it's like stop everything like i'm running outside if it's 20 yeah. degrees and it's snowy dude like bald eagles man yeah yeah wow and they're just like pigeons there yeah wow they're, okay. they're all over the place that's crazy okay any any bears in alaska um i did not encounter any bears um, I encountered, I remember, and so I have this one experience and actually, um, I have, I still have, um, a blog up from, from whenever I, I was up there and I, and I shared this and I shared some photos from this. I, I, I remember reading in the paper about this mother and three cubs. It was, I was like, holy cow, three cubs. Um, and she was walking along this trail called Rover's Run. And it's apparently like right in town. It's 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 like your, you know, it's I can't think of a of a trail that would be you know in Boise that was, but it's like right out of town. Like the it's the go to after work type trail. Maybe and, like the Boise Greenbelt. I mean, just for people who aren't sure, sure, yeah. Except this one, except this one is you know gravel and dirt, um, uh, not paved and. It's uh, so there's the sign and there's this photo in the paper of a, of a wildlife camera um, aerial view of this bear and her cubs walking along. And they say, you know, this trail is closed. She was just seen. And I was like, oh, wow, it's crazy. Um, and then one day I was just out riding my bike and <laughs> it sounds a little creepy, but I just saw these other cyclists and I'm like, I bet they know where they're going. And I haven't. I'm just going to follow them from a distance because I wanted to like see some other stuff. Um, and so they, you know, they made a couple turns and, and I, and I lost them. Um, but I was basically close enough to some other trails. I was like, Oh cool. There's these dirt trails there. And this was before I, I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have any kind of like navigating devices to even know where I was. I'm actually amazed. I made it out of Anchorage alive, but (laughs) I, uh, I just started riding. I'm like, yeah, this is great. I love it. And I come up and over this hill and then I come to this T and then I see the sign that says the same, showed the same photo in the paper and said road run trail, you know, be cautious, bears frequenting. And I'm like, I don't have, I don't have anything with me. I don't have a bell, which I thought was actually a a good thing to have at the time. Uh Um, I didn't have bear spray. I wasn't even wearing a helmet. I had zero protection and I'm seeing all these people that are out to with others. And, you know, I've got, there's this guy with his dogs with bells on them running ahead of them to scare up any wildlife. And I'm thinking I'm kind of by myself right now. And so that was, that was like a non bear encounter bear experience that kind of was a first real check. It gives me, it gives me empathy for people because it's really hard living here now in, in prime bear country whenever you see tourists in Grand Teton National Park like walking up to a grizzly and you're like, what? And But it gives me empathy because I was once maybe not quite at that point, but close. Like I didn't really consider any ramifications of – encountering a dangerous wild animal. Um, I was just going out and exploring. Um, so yeah, so I didn't have any, to get back to your question. I didn't have any bear experiences 
No, I'm um, I'm still I'm so into this story right now. This is great. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, my goodness. I uh, and you actually worked, and I, I know we're going so far ahead in your career, but that's fine. So you worked for the for the U.S. Forest Service, and you gave bear educational bear talks on bear safety. I have yes. Um, that was kind of something that just fell into my lap. The the, the educational bear talks thing, um, but. Maybe before that, I what really kind of gave me a lot of the understanding was actually working with bears in captivity. Okay. Um, here, here in Teton Valley. Yeah. So where was um, that? Where are you working with? That bears was, in, that was at uh, Earth Fire Earth Fire Institute, which is a. I'm going to say Earth Fire and Wind. It was like, wait, they have a bear sanctuary? <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, Earth, Earth Fire Institute in uh, in Tetonia. And <laughs> it's all good. Um, and and so after after working with bears there in, in captivity, um, I started to just kind of develop a lot more my own understanding. Most of my wildlife my my own wildlife education has just been self-taught through personal experiences, through um, you know working alongside zookeepers and kind of picking their brains on on animal behavior, um, and then my own online research. Yeah, and that's so important. I mean, I get a lot of emails, even from you. Back in 2013, when you asked me, you know, cause you were looking for, no, I'm, you're laughing now, but like, you know what, you were just looking to get an in on getting some, you know, wildlife rehabilitation experience and this and that. And I, I'm a true believer. You could read as many books as you can. You can get as many, you know, as many degrees as you can. But I think the first, it's like, it's all self-taught it's hands-on experiences and it's talking to people who've done this for years, for yeah. years. I yeah. totally agree it, with you. Yeah, it really is. Um, and it's just kind of like trying to reach out and make those connections here and there and like capitalize on, oh, you know, you run across someone, they just randomly cross your path and like grabbing their contact info and, and staying in touch and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I completely yeah. agree. Completely agree. So you were at the uh, Earthwind and <laughs> Earth Fire. <laughs> <laughs> so were these okay so i'm just a little so i okay so were, were they rehabilitating bears or is this just were the bears just in captivity i'm just trying to figure it out this is a this is a um kind of a special sanctuary because it's it's not one that they're taking animals from the wild they're taking wild animals from captivity so the 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 bears that you see in films the wolves that you see in films, um, they do some of their own film work too, as a, a as a separate entity, kind of combined with that sanctuary. Um, they do some of the um, some of the filming uh, with some of their own animals. There's a there's a wildlife trainer on site um, there as well. But a lot of these animals came from there was a, you know there was a lynx that some guy thought it was a good idea to have for a pet. Mm. And it uh, until it started literally marking his living room all over the place because well we know what lynx do mm-hmm. they mark everything with their urine and well, cats in general cats in general <laughs> yeah yeah and so it's like how you know it kind of blows my mind I was like wait it's it's legal to 
maybe it's it's not in all states, but in 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 some places it's legal to have these wild cats. Um, that just blew my mind. So there were some animals that came from like um, uh, private, you know, privately owned captivity, and there's other animals that came f- that were retired um, animals from films. Wow, that's insane. And you know, just like a crazy fact I just read the other day, there are more captive tigers in Texas than in the wild. That blows my mind. Dude, I remember, I don't even know why I just, I just remember this as I, as a kid, I would go on uh, kingsnake.com, which is like a reptile site. I'm sure you're oh, yeah. familiar with it. Yeah, of yep. course. Right. And yeah. I would, I just would always dream about, I don't know what animals I could possibly, I don't know, own or work with. And I look at, you know, snakes or whatever, you know, or, or tortoises and stuff, but then sure. they had this section called exotics and this is like right. back in the day. And I remember I clicked on it and there were people selling, and I'm sure this isn't happening now on King snake. I don't know. Maybe it is, but they had like tigers on there for like 500 bucks. I I couldn't even believe it. Like I swear to I mean I and I'm like I said this is like this was 15 16 years ago but I just couldn't even believe like if I had <laughs> my parents credit card yeah I might go to get a tiger ship to me. <laughs> it's insane. Right. Right, yeah, as as the as a ten year old probably, yeah, or a thirteen year old, right? Uh, yeah, you think, yeah, this is a great idea. I remember that. I there, you know, I I remember thinking it was a great idea to to have different pets, and um, I I've slowly, you know, come to to respect them. That, yeah, you know, I think there's most species belong in the wild. Very few species belong in captive. You know, belong in my own personal cap, um, you know, ownership. Mm-hmm. And and you started out just because I read your lengthy bio, which we can I'll put your. <laughs> it's a great bio. I had to. Thanks. Read no, it was fine. No, but but you you had several animals growing up. Do you still have those animals, or did you find proper? I mean, did you find other homes for them, or what is that situation? Yeah. Um, yeah, like currently I, I still have a, I still have a box turtle, which I just. Um, yes. Yes. A box turtle. What's her name? It's not Erica. Uh, Victoria. 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 Oh my goodness. Which I, feel like which I'm I just to remember like, a chick at a bar. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the whole idea. It was like, how can I remember this girl's name? I'll name my turtle this. Um, <laughs> no, no. I read it and it was like Victoria. I mean, it was like, <laughs> I love it. Here's the honest, the truth. I uh, initially, right. I thought it was a male and I, and I named it Victor. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I realized, Oh, this is a female. <laughs> Victoria. <laughs> Switch it to Victoria. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I still have her. Um, I rehomed her, uh, just recently, um, because I, I'm just in such a nomadic mode right now. I mean, I've lived in Teton Valley for uh, just under four years, but I just, you know, I've been renting from one place to another to another. Um, and I, you know, when I'm gone, I'm like trying to find someone to, to watch her. And, and it was just like, ah, you know what? I need to, I need to find a, a better place. Um, so she's currently back in Nebraska um, with my sister and uh, her fiance. Oh, great. So she's still going to be around the family. They lived so long, 70, oh, yeah. 80 years, man. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, man, your nomadic lifestyle. I mean, I swear to God, I feel like you come out of, I mean, please take this as a compliment, but like a nature Valley granola bar commercial. Because <laughs> <laughs> the reason why is because I just, you're always outside in the outdoors and you're, you know, you're a cyclist and you're just, just rock climbing, doing all these amazing things. Yeah, I, I, um, I really didn't 
it's it's kind of been something that that lifestyle is kind of within the fat within the past five years has has kind of transitioned and grown and kind of in the same almost in the same progress as my knowledge for wildlife and my passion even it's it's just continuing to compound mm -hmm. um and as more uh various topics or interests or issues uh come up and and i look into them um you know with with conservation and with sustainability and all of those things i'm pretty pretty passionate about about a lot of those public lands of course yeah and you actually reached out to me and the reason why i guess i should tell the listeners the reason why you're on the podcast is because i asked i asked a question on social media and i just said what are your you know thoughts about wolves and on my facebook it went nuts it was the most engaging post i've ever had ever it was seen by like over 12,000 people i mean people were like neck and neck and like people were telling other people off and it was this, and it was just this, I don't know. I, I knew I was opening up a can of worms, but I didn't realize it was that crazy. <laughs> and so you reached out to me because you have your thoughts on that. And so please tell us what are your thoughts on wolves, wildlife management and all that type of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that post. That is, that was a big <laughs> post. I have, uh, I've made the same, um, I don't want to call it a mistake, but I've made the same choice to post. <laughs> um, and, and I have a lot of, um, maybe, maybe you might say anti-predator, uh, contacts. Um, and, and I also have a lot of, and I kind of, I kind of sit in, in the middle because I don't look at things from like a lovey dovey, cute and cuddly, you know, let's save all the, you know, let's save all the animals and we ever have the ability to, to do. It's just, it's just not how mother nature works. It's not how the, the ecosystems function. Like things die. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like it's it's, a, it's as blunt as you know you can say yes. it but it's like things things like it's not it's not a great life for a lot of wildlife out there really um but they don't especially know with us on the planet are you kidding me especially with us on the planet yeah and and um yeah i mean that's the thing i'll i'll get to that point later but um it's yeah so a lot of my passion you know, I don't know if I if there was a certain point in time in my life where I decided the wolf was my favorite animal. Um, but I remember having, you know, like begging my parents to buy me this this picture of a wolf as a kid, or um, I had this like this uh, wolf like type of I don't I don't know what it was. It was like a sculpture. Uh, three different wolves. Um, I wonder where that is now. Um, but I had that as a kid and, and I just like, they were, they were one of those animals that just, uh, were very captivating and, and mysterious to me. I didn't really know anything about them. Um, but I loved them and it wasn't necessarily like a life goal to be able to work with wolves, but I ended up being able to at the, at the earth fire sanctuary. And, um, you know, we had, we had seven wolves and one kind of, um, wolf dog combo. He was, he was pretty skittish and, and just kind of 
over my over that period of time, just working with them and seeing their behavior and and then seeing how they slowly kind of let you in as as they're kind of habituated to humans, they kind of you know let you in to their uh, to their little comfort zone slowly but surely and um and it was it was really good experience so that's that's what even kind of like compounded more of my my love for that animal um and and then so like your your topic on like just what's your what are your thoughts on wolves and and there's a lot of discussion um with with wolves in the greater yellowstone and wolves being re quote I, I'm, you know what? I think wolves aren't reintroduced or in, a lot of people say wolves being introduced into Idaho. And it's like, no, 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 they were already there. We took them out. <laughs> it's, it's reintroduced. And, um, there's a lot of great info. I don't know. If, have you heard of Doug Smith? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I just like, well, yes, I have, I have, um, anyway, I'm reading a book beyond words and Doug Smith is one of the wolf researchers. He's been in Yellowstone, what, for 30, like 30 years plus? Yeah. Yeah. More? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's he's in, he's an incredible person. Probably, I don't know him personally. I, I have a friend who worked with him um, doing, doing uh, birds of prey research in Yellowstone. But, yeah, he's got to be probably one of the most reputable and knowledgeable people on wolves uh just just because like he, he and he looks at it from such a logical standpoint he he doesn't necessarily look at it from an emotional standpoint and i think emotion is a good thing to have um you know empathy for the animals is a great thing to to have but it's like he looks at it from more of a scientific point of view great way of being able to communicate with quote both sides of the of the debate of the of the topic of of wolves um and yeah it's just it's a he's a fantastic guy so if any of your listeners haven't heard of him like go do your like look him up on google (laughs) he's he's got some great stuff um and he's he was at the forefront of the of the reintro um reintroduction of wolves into yellowstone um Back in what is it the the eighties? Back in the eighties, yeah, yeah. And I learned, man, I learned so much. I learned so much during that whole podcast interview. I mean, just everything from. Did did you check out Maggie from the Wolf Center podcast? Yeah. I learned yep. so much because I mean, just about wolves and I learned so much with that book beyond words, just how social these animals are. It's just incredible. I mean, just people don't understand. And I just can't even, I just, I, I'm sorry, man. I can't. And did, did you hear the episode I had with, I had Caleb who was an active sportsman. Did you hear that one? I had someone who was, wasn't opposed against wolves, but also for predator management. No, I, I will have to look into that one. Oh yeah, you have to because I wanted to see both sides, and it was really hard for right. me. But I mean, he actually I learned a lot from him too. But I still, even after that interview, I still can't wrap my my brain around why someone would want to kill an animal like this. Like, I, it's not like you're have it. Just yeah, I just I can't I can't wrap my mind around it. And right. 
and just reading, you know, beyond words, the book, and then also from Doug's research, this and that, and talking to Maggie, I mean, these, these animals have complex social systems. So the predator management, you can't, it's like you, you take one out, but it's almost impossible. I feel like to manage. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's a great point because the other thing too, is it's not about overall number. Because the way – if let's say you like, all right, well, we, we you know manage this. But like you, you start separating. You start picking one and two and three off. And pretty soon you've got four or five different wolves all from four or five different packs. They're not going to just go ahead and form their own pack because that's not how they work. So they're going out on pure you know, solo survival mode. And one of the things I think is actually contradictory is to, to the, to the logic of just like managing the numbers is that when you have just one wolf, they're going to go after the easiest meal and they're going to learn just like any other animal, just like deer in Boise that, Hey, if I go like deer in Boise, like, ah, yes, uh, you know, I know that garden over there. Like, yeah, that's p- easy pickings. Also, <laughs> there's scary animals in the hills, and I don't want to go up there. So I'm going to stay down in this valley where there's lush green food to eat. With the wolf, it's like, ah, yes. You know, I'm getting pushed out of all my territories by other packs, by other, you know, by p- potentially people, even just human travel, just human travel in the back country. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're getting pushed out of their, their different territories. So they find themselves in this Valley and lo and behold, Hey, there's this calf over here. Um, and it's easy pickings. And so they get, you know, and then of course they're out of the park and the rancher says, Oh, you know, wolves are, you know, we need to, you know, manage the population. It's like actually trying to manage the population may very well have been, has been what caused that one lone wolf to go venture onto your lot because they're, they're pretty solitary animals. They're not just wanting to go out and like hang around people. I I know this because even in captivity, they're not that type of animal. Yeah. But yeah, but you just said something very important and and it happens a lot. You see this with other species that we try to decimate. Same with like, (laughs) <laughs> or kill same with like coyotes you kill one and then you don't realize you're actually <laughs> adding on to their, to their reproduction numbers but the same with a wolf and so when you kill a wolf let's say an alpha female or a dominant female i guess that's how the scientific community wants to call them now uh, a, a lead female you are okay you 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 kill that leader and then you basically allow all these other wolves they they start scattering they start attacking livestock because they they don't know what to do and so like you just said, you are just adding on to the, I, I don't know, the livestock issue or the issue people have with wolves. Yeah, just even just wildlife, wildlife venturing into, you know, more the the civilian populations of of towns and cities. You know, anytime you see like a cougar in a tree in a neighborhood, it's like, yeah, it doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it 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 got there and and it's not there by choice. It, it got there for some reason or, or another. Um, yeah. And so that's, a, that's an awesome, that's an awesome point is, is when you're, you pick off like the one, uh, female, the leader of a pack 
And then all of these other ones just kind of go wherever they want. Trickle down effect. I think wolves are, it's, it's an incredible and very important type of, of, of animal that we need in this ecosystem. And I think a lot of times people just feel like they are, um, you know, they're, they're just this intruder or that they're a different, they're a different wolf than what was in, uh, the, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem initially. And I really liked, um, your, you know, that pod, the, was Maggie. Maggie. Um, yeah. She shared that light on that too. That was, that Dude, was her last name is Maggie hell. I mean, she is like okay. born a wolf spokesperson. Right. Yeah. Or married yeah. Into one. She was great. That's, right. Right. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's just, it, they're just incredible animals and they're an essential animal to, to the ecosystem. They're, there's something that like, they keep everything in balance and they, they just allow um, everything to flow the way it's, it's meant to be just predators in general in reality. And it, it always kind of like puzzles me why there's such this anti anti predator, you know, fear or, you know, of, of bears or of, of cougars or wolves, or um, we just have this natural fear of these, of these animals. Um, that's really pretty unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, don't you? I'm sure it's like a little innate from our ancestors back in the, you know, thousands of years ago. But I think it's also like our culture and society. And uh. yeah, of course, it's yeah. I, I mean, it's. I think it's part of the human survival mode, like to be weary of of things that you know might might kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's. I mean, obviously, even as I'm traveling, like whether I'm biking or hiking or whatever in, in, in the mountains, in the back country, you know, you know, just being aware of, of your surroundings and aware of any animals and uh, knowing how to respond. If you come up on one, I mean, that's all very, very important, but it's, it's like, you don't, you don't just like, I remember my first summer here, I was, I was hiking this uh, renowned uh, peak table mountain here in the Tetons. And, um, I came up and I was talking to this lady and she's like, she just blanketly told me that like, yeah, you know, grizzly bears have started coming back and they just don't belong here. Mm. And I was like, and this was after I told her what I did. Like, I, I'm like, okay, you're kind of talking to the wrong person, but, but it's Mm. like just the mentality that, that, people then entitlement that people think that like, Oh no, I need, I need to have all of this to myself. And it's like, you realize that a lot of this wouldn't even be able to exist without. People are so weird. This is like a side note because you like told this lady, like, this is what I've done with bears, this and that. And then she said, well, they don't belong here. It's like, people say that stuff to me all the time. Like people will ask me what I do. I'm like, oh, I work, you know, I rescue, you know, animals and I work with snakes. Like, oh my goodness, you should see my pair of rattlesnake head earrings. (laughs) I swear to God. (laughs) Like, why? Like, what? Like, I don't understand why people like have to, what is that? Like, do you, like, why? Uh, I just don't understand it. This is, you know. I've had very similar experiences when I'm, when I'm talking to people too, is like with, and then they'll just like go in, in there, they'll share their, this other, you know, take on this completely polar opposite take on like wildlife or 
or a wolf or something like that. And I have had some really good conversations with, with people too, that, um, you know, just like you, I, I try to see the other side, like what are their standpoint? What's their standpoint? Um, I, you know, one of the things that, and I don't know if you guys talked about this or not, but one of the interesting things is people argue that, that like wolves, are decimating the elk population and and it's like no <laughs> i'm pretty sure humans have a larger impact on any any wild animal elk or otherwise right than, and i was shocked than, did you hear my i am sorry to interrupt again but i yeah, had yeah. evidence a scientific study from idaho fish and game <laughs> like and i don't have the yeah. numbers front of me but during maggie's interview the wolf podcast once again if you have not heard that i encourage you to check it out wolves part one on the podcast but we like what 60 percent like we decimate the populations wolves were only of i don't know i i don't want to say the number i don't have it exact but it was very right. minimal compared to what our impact right yeah hit by cars and hunting and um, and, and I, I mean, like, I'm not an anti hunter. I don't hunt, I don't, but I'm not anti hunting necessarily. Um, but I, I would say that I, I don't support like trophy hunting, um, that, that I can never wrap my head around. Um, oh my God. just, but like, you know, I, I support, I support the idea and of, of knowing where your food comes from. And honestly, um, even though I'm, I'm, I'm not one, I, I am starting to more and more think maybe maybe that would be a better route than than supporting like the beef industry perhaps Mm -hmm. um you know because um again growing up in nebraska going to an agricultural school um seeing feedlots it's like it's not a pretty sight and and so yeah like i i i 100 percent understand hunting and i think a lot of times people will just see you know me or, or, or who you, Maggie, is, is like, oh, you're pro wolf. You clearly fit into this one category where you don't support hunting and you don't support, you know, all of these things. And it's like, there's a lot of middle ground there that, that I think that there just needs to be a balance. And, you know, just with the, the ecosystem, you know, and, and understanding so. our impact. I think so too. And I think a lot of those people, I mean, I, I'm not anti-hunting either. I don't hunt, although I have friends who are wildlife conservationists. I had a great interview. I don't know if you checked it out with Erin from the World Center for Birds of Prey. She's uh, basically their education outreach coordinator there. She's a big deal, like in, you know, saving birds of prey and she's an active hunter and, you know, excuse me, and an avid hunter, but I have nothing against that. I mean, she goes out and she would rather do that than support, you know, the agriculture industry. And I think if we found out where a lot of our meat's coming from, we'd probably be really freaked out. I mean, you know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like the, um, I think it's slow and up and coming and and this is slightly off topic, but just in the agricultural side, um, there's, there is a slow growing movement kind of going back to like where agricultural, agriculture really started which was small family farms and small you know um projects of of having your own garden your own um you know pigs and and 
cheap. And there, I see a lot of that here in Teton Valley. And it was kind of something that like I had always envisioned for myself. And it, and then I moved to this valley. I'm like, whoa, it exists. Like there is a lot of that here. Um, and we have this big open, you know, kind of flat land in between three different mountain ranges. And, and there are a lot of, of small little uh, farms that, that are here. And I think that that is, um, I think it's promising for, for the future. Mm-hmm. Really. And I think it's good too, to see where your food's coming from. And I guarantee you half the population, they had to grow their own meat. <laughs> like, oh man, dude. And it's, I it's just not it. feasible in the city. I mean, it, it, there's just, it's just not really well, that feasible. I, well, I was just talking about actually like seeing the animals you're eating. You know, I mean, we have, I mean, I have two pet turkeys, ducks, chickens, and I mean, no, I swear to God. So it's like, I think if people, you know, actually saw where their food was coming from, I think they might take a second, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, it would, it would definitely, I think it would have an impact. Um, but I think it teaches you a respect too, like a respect of life. Um, and I, and I, and I've talked to, you know, even like a lot of hunters and they say, you know, like I personally don't think I could, I could sh- shoot, um, like a deer or something just because of that, that p- part of you that almost kind of just leaves you that you're like, I just took a life. But, um, but at the same time they're, they're like, yeah, but that gives me, that gives me a respect and an appreciation at the same time. And, you know, there's, it, they're not necessarily, you know, just taking it. I mean, there's a lot that do, but there's also a, a portion that, that don't just, they don't, they take it seriously. They don't just take the life and think, ah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I'm hoping that more and more um, we move to that, that direction um, and just an awareness of, of where, food is coming from and, and the, you know, the, the lives of, of animals and wildlife that they're going through. Um, and I think that is in the same line with appreciating life as a whole, um, whether it's a predator or whether it's prey, I don't think that there's a difference there. Mm Mm-hmm. And it all keeps the ecosystem intact. It's all like, it's all a whole system, you know, it's, this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years and it's just, you know, right. Right. Yeah. And so how, how can, how can wolf wolves that are just reintroduced take decimate an entire elk population whenever they've been here for yeah. thousands and thousands of years. And you know what's crazy though is people yeah. like actually I don't think a lot of people think and I actually believe this they never left. I think in northern Idaho I think I know right. they're still here. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean that's the that's the thing. Um you know, I remember um reading reading a book uh by Aaron Ralston, uh you know the guy who uh who uh lost his arm in Utah. He had he had a when in that in that canyon, um, he he did a solo um, mission through Colorado, summoning every single one of of the uh, 14ers in the winter time. And he said he saw wolf packs up there that were thought to have been non-existent. Wow. You know, like in in like in Colorado in this in this back country, and it's like yeah, because nobody's back there, so. I, yeah, I agree with you in that. I don't think wolves were ever gone out of, 
um, Idaho or even the greater Yellowstone, um, you know, they were, they were just very, very low in numbers and they're kind of staying out of the way of humans. Smart, smart, smartly. So, which is smart. I'm shocked. I'm looking out right now, uh, just to my left of the Owyhee mountains. And I was shocked. I had a neighbor and the sheriff tell me that we had wolves in there. And I was like, wait, what? No. And it's just, yeah, it's just, yeah, I believe it. Oh yeah, they well the sheriff. Well, I don't know if I believe the sheriff, but <laughs> I was like, or my neighbor. I'm like, are you kidding me? But yeah, they say they're they're lone, like a darker breed. I don't know. I mean, who knows what's what? But I mean, I talked to Maggie from the Wolf Conservation Center. She 100 believes it. Like, of course, you know, isolated yeah. mountains. You know, up there in the Wahis. Yeah, absolutely. So, I had a chance to check out your website which I liked and I found probably one of my favorite quotes I've never even seen. So I'm going to read it. When I thought I couldn't go on, I forced myself to keep going. My success is based on persistence, not luck. Estee Lauder. Yeah. Estee Lauder. Yeah. Dude, that's the um, best quote. I know. I, I it, it, like, I discovered that. I don't even remember how. And I was like, wow, like there's all of these great quotes, but like this just like, this just resonates with me and it really sums up a lot. Um, really, I think a lot for me, like even landing that internship in Alaska, I'm pretty sure I littered, uh, this lady's desk with like a thousand post-it notes of Aaron couch called again, uh, wondering about getting this, you know, this internship. Um, (laughs) just like, really it it is it's based on it's based on persistence for sure um nothing really kind of falls in at least it hasn't fallen in my lap (laughs) dude never never like that's the best thing ever and it's it's so crazy because i've been doing this for 15 years almost 16 years and people will see me like on the today show right last week and they'll think oh my goodness this is great like this just fell to you and you know, good for you. And it's like, no, 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 you didn't see the 14 plus years that I was, you know, volunteering, you know, uh, traveling the country, you know, doing, uh, you know, you know, volunteering, doing everything from local TV stations, radio stations, you know, doing shows for three people. Sometimes no one would show up. Like, so it's, I think that's the best quote. It's all about persistence and dedication and not giving up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you have a lot of dreams. And so once again, so like I said, so you want to be a wildlife rehabilitator. That's the end goal. Man. Um, or should you update the site? Awesome. No. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> the, yeah, my personal website definitely needs, definitely needs some, uh, some updating, but, um, it's, it's fairly current. Um, you know, I'm, I kind of, I, I kind of, I've been volunteering, you know, with the Teton Raptor Center, um, uh, and then, you know, some various, uh, events, um, you know, happen and I, now I'm, I haven't been as, as active, um, just with life and, um, but I'm still very in contact with them and I, and I've done a lot of, you know, work with them and, um, and, that is that is something maybe that that I could see myself doing even more of is is that uh, um, they have a three prong uh, system is is um, education research and rehab rehabilitation. This is earth, wind, and no, no, 
This is uh this is Teton Raptor Center. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, Teton. Yeah, I didn't know if you're okay. Go ahead. So the Teton Raptor yeah, Center. Teton Raptor Center, and then that's their three prong approach. And that would be that's been my most recent um, project um, and and organization that I've that I've been working with is um, you know from from research in the field to education in Grand Teton National Park and doing um, talks with the public and and um, you know educating them like hey this is why we need you know this is why we need raptors. Um, and this is what a raptor is. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, so it's been, it's been an amazing, really amazing experience. And I've gotten close with a lot of people there. Um, and they, they do some really great work. So if you haven't looked into them, definitely, definitely check them out. Um, but they, and they also have a, a research site as well, in addition to their rehab. Um, and I've seen some, some, uh, pretty neat, uh, seen some pretty neat stories and, and of course with rehab, you also see the other end, uh, where, where an animal is, is not able to be, uh, rehabilitated and, and return to the wild. Um, I would say that that's probably what the, uh, pet emergency treatment in Alaska probably prepared me for the most was all of the cases where you had to, you have to have enough emotion to care, Right. And, but, but then you have to have this other part of you that, that, um, separates you from the emotion of the actual experience you're going through right now to be able to actually function and not just break down right in the middle, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, and that can kind of get people don't like to think about that, that side of things of, of an animal dying, um, right in front of your eyes. And, um, you know, it can be really challenging to, to have to be able to separate that. that. I think that's what takes a lot of people out of either veterinary work or rehab because they go into it because they like the cute, fluffy and furry animals and they want to just see them and they're so cool. Um, and you have a lot of these volunteers that they just show up and they just, they're there just because they like, baby owls and you're like yeah but this baby owl is here because the mother got shot with a shotgun you know and and um or you know this this beautiful bird is in here because it flew into a an electrical wire and and um it's so it's it there's definitely that other side where you have to be able to to not just focus on this one aspect and that's what drives us that's what keeps us going is the our love for animals but then you have to separate it and have that that ability to um operate under stress and under those circumstances i think you're right i think that's the number one the worst thing i think when you work with animals my it's like when you lose one you know because i mean for, for yeah. me i mean my personal animals maybe part of the family or if I'm rescuing an animal that has to be put down. And man, I interned with a veterinarian one summer and she was under such immense stress. She was bawling all the time. I mean, it was like, it killed her. Yeah. It was horrible. I mean, people don't see that side. So I think you really hit the nail on the head, you know, regarding yeah. people don't realize that there's a dark side to it. Right. Yeah. I remember, um, my my the, my first time I ever rescued a um, a hawk from the field, 
we got this phone call um, from from a couple uh, surveyors, um, uh, and they noticed this this bird in a flooded uh, farm farm field. And so I thought, well, yeah, like I've I've never never rescued an animal from. Um, I would like to go. And then as they started talking to me, I started realizing that no one else is coming with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they're like, yeah, here's the towel. Here's the kennel. Here's the gloves. um, Here's the, here's the leather jacket you put on. And I'm like, wait, um, okay. (laughs) So, you know, here I go driving, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to go rescue this hawk. And I'm going to get there and there, the people are there and we go and we hop this barbed wire fence. And I didn't have boots on because I was planning to work inside in a warm place that day. And so I didn't have any proper footwear, um, walking through this very cold, uh, flooded field in March in, in Wyoming. Um, and so here I, uh, yeah, I get this towel over this hawk and, and, you know, you, we get them clumsily back over the barbed wire fence and, um, get them into the, the kennel and I drive them back. And then we get to the vet and they say, ah, oh, his, his wings, not his wings, not repairable. And, um, and I knew in the back of my mind, like this, this is a potential option. Obviously he, I saw him and he did not look good and it hadn't been broken for a long time. It's one of those things where it's like, again, uh, getting back to that predator, that, that bird was hurt. Um, unfortunately a predator did not, um, take him and he suffered a lot longer than maybe what he should have. Um, but he, now he's here and, and now, now it's under our care and we have to draw that line. You know, is he, is he able to, to be returned to the wild or is, you know, no, he's not going to be comfortable. He's not going to be able to function. He's not going to be able to hunt. He's not going to be able to live. Um, and you have to make that really hard call. And, uh, I just remember like this. Oh, wow. Like for the first time, you know, I heard stories, but I never rescued an animal and been personally involved with it. And it was just this, just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I was not ready for that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, and since then I've been involved in several more field rescues too. Um, just recently, um, you know, I'm the only, the only volunteer um, for the Teton Raptor Center, which is on the the east side of the Teton Pass. And so I'm on the Idaho side. So I'm the only volunteer or one of the few, actually, that's not true. I'm not the only one, but I, at that day, I was the only available one to go rescue this owl that had flown into a barbed wire fence. Mm. Um, This was actually a barbed wire fence on public land. Um, And, you know, I, I think that that is a big thing too. Um, Because here we we're, barbless barbless wire um should really be something that is is just mainstream now it's like there's really on on public land uh there's really no need for barbs you know there's um they don't that's one thing to like 
for for private landowners to to make that choice whether they support that or not. But um, you know, as a whole, for 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 public land use, I think it's I think it's something that should be wi- more widely known and understood that these types of things can can have a a major impact on wildlife. And all that happened was this great horned owl was probably flying low going after a going after a rodent and uh, caught its wing, mm. um, panicked and hung there. Oh my and, god! Yeah. But but this but this uh, but this camper he um, he actually came over and helped us out. We couldn't cut the wires. We actually had to cut the 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 wires um, on either side of that owl's wing and have that wire surgically removed um, okay. after we got it out of the field. Yeah. So were they able to rehabilitate the owl, or did you guys have to put the owl down? I think I don't know. If, I don't think that owl made it either. I think there were um, the blood circulation. It had been it had been hanging for so long that all the circulation left that wing. Um, and and the, the one thing is is that sometimes these animals can be um, even if they can't be rehabilitated, they can be um, brought into an education um, place. Or or sometimes if if a zoo or a, or a sanctuary has um, the means to house them, then there's always that option too. But you'll have to look at the quality of life for that animal first and that's foremost. The thing. Yeah, that's the thing too. I remember a long time ago, I rescued birds all the time. I mean, living out in the Snake River, I run into birds that have been shot that are still alive, or just you know, birds caught in the barbed wire, like you said. And I remember one time years ago, I wanted to—I think it was like a river coot that someone had shot or something was wrong with the wing, but it was still alive. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness. I called the bird center and I was like, Oh, this could be, you know, a great education bird. And I remember the, the rehabilitator said, but think about the quality of life. I mean, this was a wild bird. I mean, what do you think? I mean, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this for all circumstances, but you look at it, you think, yeah, it's probably right. I mean, I couldn't imagine yeah, if, a, if, if a bird is young enough, you know, young then, enough. Then yeah, that's, it, that's it could be, a, it could be a different story. Um, as long as those injuries aren't painful and long lasting, like, um, and, but if you're taking like an adult, you know, I mean, think about it from like you, like someone just like takes you and like puts you in a whole completely different country, um, with, with, in, in, in like a cage (laughs) and you've been used to, and you've been used to, to speaking one language and doing your own thing all your life. And now you're in a, you know, cage in some other country and you're not able to be free and, and, uh, you, you don't understand anything that's going on. And one of our messages, uh, we always share with the Teton Raptor center is that, um, you know, these, these birds, like if we're speaking in front of a crowd of a few hundred people, these birds don't want to be here. They would much rather be out and flying around. But now, um, this is this is their new job, and their new job is to advocate for their their the other birds that are still out there flying around, and you. As, as one person can add value to their, their purpose by going back home, because most of these are visitors, by going back home to, you know, New York or Alabama or Washington or California and 
and looking for the animal rehab center there and, and, and doing these things you can change and you can, you know, you can stop using lead bullets and use copper bullets instead. And you can start thinking about, um, how you are, uh, affecting birds and wildlife in your own lifestyle, you know, um, you know, stop using rat poison or whatever it is. Um, and, 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 you know, look out for birds whenever you're driving. Um, and you can have a direct impact. And I think that's a super powerful message. Like a lot of times people just see whatever some organization is and they're like, oh, that's great that you guys are doing all this work, but they don't really think about how, what they can do um, in their day-to-day life. Or they think they, you know, or they think they can't make a difference. Exactly. So really quick, do you have any advice for someone who's young, who wants to work with animals, uh, you know, pursue a career? Because it sounds like you were that young person wanting to, you know, pursue a career in your life has brought you in many different directions. What, any advice? Yeah. Um, and I got that asked too, whenever I was working with the forest service, I'd have kids come up to me and say, Hey, I want to be a forest ranger one day. What should I do? And, um, you know, I think I think one thing is realize that you can start right now. You don't have to wait until you go to college. You don't have to wait until you finish high school. Um, whatever idea that is that's in the back of your mind, you know, adults have a way of kind of like trying to push you towards a really traditional career. Um, uh, we're pretty terrible with that. Um, we like people to be doctors and firefighters and whatever. If you, if there's some sort of passion burning deep and digging at you, you're like, I really want, I really love animals. Maybe you don't even know why yet. One of the things I discovered is like, I thought that one of the reasons why I went to be go just to be a vet assistant was that I I thought that that was like the most direct way that I could work with animals. Um, but you can go be a wildlife bi- biologist. You can, you can go be an environmental biologist and, and, and study the, in, and animals have an impact there too. You, you're studying amphibians to see what the water quality is like. You know, you're, there's a lot of places where animals play a role in various careers or various jobs. I don't even want to use the word career. Um, <laughs> don't, don't, don't pigeonhole and, and, and put yourself into one small little box and say, this is what I'm going to do. Um, whenever someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's okay to say, I don't know, but I really love these things. I really love dogs and I really like cars. Um, you know, or, or like maybe you really like helping people and you thought about being a, uh, an EMT. Um, but you also really like training dogs. Well, guess what? You can go rescue people with dogs in the mountains, you know, like that is a job that you can do. You can work with animals and you can help people at the same time. Like you can combine your passions. So don't necessarily just think that you have to go do one thing, keep that broad keep reaching out and talking to people and asking a ton of questions, ask, 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 
and and see who out there is willing to kind of show you um, some ropes. Reach out to you know a, a veterinarian and go in there. You know maybe. You know, animals, I would say you're probably very familiar with this, Corbin. Um, if you're working with animals, 98% of the time you're cleaning up after them. And <laughs> that is, that's, why, that's what I have to do after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, like, yep. So like, there's a lot of grunt work that's, that's going in there. You know, like there's a lot of unpleasant stuff and it's not something that like, it looks glorious and you know, you might start out and you're like, man, like I remember working at the Lincoln zoo and I'm like, if I get stuck cleaning up flamingos again, one more day, I swear, (laughs) like some of the dirtiest birds I know, like they're just so Whoa, it's, so, no. it's so funny. Like I was on last week on the Today Show with the former first lady. Three days later, I'm cleaning up iguana diarrhea. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. How it is. It's not a glamorous job, it's but it's not. rewarding though. It's but I so love rewarding. I love how you said though. Start now. There's no, you know, like, don't wait, you know, and I always tell kids that too, when I do these educational talks or I don't know, appearances, like it's not, I don't know. I think you and I are both living proof that you could do whatever you want to do. I mean, I've seen you from, I mean, I I don't, we've never met in person, but 2013, you reached out and I've seen you just through your career, you know, going through your website and your awesome Instagram and man, you're, you're killing it. You're traveling, you're you know, just being out there in the outdoors, you're rescuing and rehabilitating wildlife. I think that's really inspirational. And I guess, yeah. 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 And well, I thanks. like sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. It absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, whatever your, whatever your goals and your passions are, just keep, keep looking towards that. And, and don't think that you have to do one thing and, and it's okay to, to jump around and it's okay to, to leave one opportunity for another. And, and, um, you know, you can, you know, don't, don't think even like once you start one thing and if in college or whatever, that you're stuck in that you, there's so many different options. And, um, and even for those people who've already graduated college, you don't have to necessarily stay doing that. Like if there's something else in the back of your mind, um, you know, reach out and see, but what's around you and, and just start getting involved. I remember um, the first time with the Raptor center, uh, an interesting experience is I was, I was, um, I was still working um, at earth fire and I, uh, I went to Raptor fest, which is held on every, uh, on every father's day. Um, and I went there and I thought, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go make some connections so I go there and oh, I saw these cool birds and all these people like holding them on their hands and their gloves. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walked out of there with zero connections. <laughs> sorry, I'm not zero. Like nothing, nada. I'm like, well, that was cool, but not really what I came here for. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. It's- no, no, no. It's supposed to be funny. One year later, I was that person holding a bird behind the booth, you know? And yeah, it was just, it's just all volunteer. I've never been paid. You know, it's, 
like hardly make any money. It's like you just you just do what you love, but um it's it's like yeah, you can, you know, a few few months went by. Um December came that same year. I started getting getting, you know, and sending emails back and forth. Um I never even got like the official training until like halfway through my volunteering. Like I, you know, like halfway through the, the, that next year of volunteering, um, they, I just got thrown right into it. And sometimes that just, it's all about kind of time and chance. Um, but again, it's, it's about that persistence back to back. It's It's persistence. It's like going there and you're either going to walk away getting told no, or maybe you're just going to, walk away like feeling kind of empty or you don't really know what's going to happen um but then it's just continuing continuing to reach out um, but then but then like what if you never tried though you always had that option you know you might as, you always try i mean why not the worst thing they can say is no dude no can i tell you something i haven't said publicly at all go for it Are you ready I just found out um, yesterday, so I can't, I'm not going to say it to, I mean, I guess I'm saying it publicly now, but I won't make an announcement until it's kind of like, I guess confirmed, but I've had so much fun doing this podcast. It's kind of like a side hobby. I don't get sure. paid to do it, but I love doing it. I love talking to people like you, people who are passionate. And, uh, I reached out to Dr. Jane Goodall and I mean, this is just like, it's like one of the, it's like a shot in hell. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, maybe, anyway, I just like, you know what? Send a, I don't know, an introductory message, whatever. Anyway, they got back to me a couple days ago and they're got back and they're kind of reviewing and they're considering doing the interview. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like my podcast? Like, I mean, anyway, so it's not, I'm right in the, it's not confirmed, but just even to have them consider it, it's like, oh my goodness. But if I never would have tried, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Never know. You never right. know. And it's persistence and man, it's, it's persistent. So yeah, it's, it's huge. And even, even that, and like, you know, re, you know, when you're, when you're talking to people and you're trying to find connections and sometimes you feel like, oh, I don't know, they don't know me. It might be weird. And, you know, it, it's like, who cares? You know, who cares? It's, and that's how, that's how like relationships are made. And sometimes it's like some, some random thing you might reach out to them and they may never get back to you. And then you run into them at some point and they're like, Oh yeah, you sent me an email five years ago. And (laughs) this is how you and I are meeting. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good segue. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah well aaron thank you so much any last minute words you want to give to our listeners get out there you know like even if you're in your even if you're in a city like you can find wild places around you with you know within an hour drive or so it's it's possible um go out sit under a tree and just listen um try to try to take it in try to understand a few things that are going on and um, and I think that really helps open the mind, you know, to a lot of other things and open perspectives. That's great. You were great, Aaron. This is great. So where can people follow you just like me on Instagram? What is your Instagram handle? It's uh, at Aaron R couch, A A R O N R C O U C H. And you cannot um, miss this guy. He has mountains everywhere. He's bicycling. <laughs> you might see his yeah. beard. 
I don't know. Yeah, you're, you'll probably see my beard show up in a few photos. I don't take too many selfies. Try to avoid them. Uh, Why? If I do try one, you know, I try to make it epic, you know. it's uh, But uh, – and then I also have my own adventure blog, um, uh, destinationreroute.com and uh, also Destination Reroute on Facebook. And you can also look me up on Facebook. Um, click the click the follow button. Um, but uh, Destination Reroute is kind of uh, my adventure blog, and um, my my motto motto for that is is simply inspire adventure and just getting you know inspiring people to get out there, um, you know, and combating that. Uh, what if this or what if that or I can't because of this? It's like yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aaron. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Corbin. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.